Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter number six. Remember our little series, if you want to call it that, that we're in really focuses around the Jeremiah 2 5 of they have walked after vanity and are become vain we have touched on Isaiah 6 a little bit I want to touch on it just a little bit more uh, this morning Isaiah chapter number 6 I'm going to read verses 5 through 8 in your hearing today and then you will be able uh, to be seated this morning the Bible says starting with verse number 5 again this is the prophet Isaiah Isaiah chapter number 6 these are the words of Isaiah <clears throat> then said I and let me preface this is after he has seen the Lord he has seen the king of glory the seraphims have cried holy holy around the throne all these things have occurred the Bible says then said I Isaiah speaking woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Amen. We're going to pray today. Ask the Lord to help us in the next little while. Father, I come to you this morning. God, we're grateful, Lord, for being able to be in your house. God, this is a privilege and this is an opportunity. God, do not take it lightly, Lord Jesus, that this is extended to us. I pray, oh Lord, today, I want to worship you in this place. God, we want, Lord, to share the word of the Lord. God, let it be more just than information, but God, inspiration, Lord, for our hearts and our lives. God, give us direction. I pray, Lord, in the next few minutes, Lord, in this service, and will not fail to thank you and praise you, God, for what you're capable of accomplishing, Lord, in our lives and the life of the church. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. These few verses that I read to you this morning in what would maybe be properly described as the cleansing of Isaiah's lips resulting in his sin being purged and his iniquity being taken away is really something that those in the ancient Near East peoples, I might say, they could identify with this whole scenario on one particular level they had within their practices something that was known as a washing of the mouth ritual as well this washing of the mouth ritual that these people had is a means in which their idols were prepared for the gods that's a little g-o-d-s 
was prepared for the gods to dwell in them. So they would go through a particular washing of the mouth ritual over a god of wood or stone, whatever it may be made, whatever material it may be made of. And they did this for the purpose that that idol would be prepared then for receiving, quote unquote, uh, their gods to indwell them. And so these idols that they had of the ancient Near East people, these image bearers, if you will, they would prepare for this indwelling of the essence or the spirit of their gods. And so whenever we read in Isaiah 6, verses 5 through 8, and there's other portions of Isaiah 6 that we have brought to you so far in the study of how then Isaiah speaks of the people having eyes, see not, uh, conveying that they had become what they had worshipped. So whenever he is speaking about this cleansing of Isaiah's mouth with the life coat from the altar and his sin being purged, uh, it would easily appear as something, as a similar practice that idol worshippers had with their image bearers or the idols that they worshiped and that they adored and that they served. Yet whenever we see the comparison and, and the Lord and the, the penning of scripture, of course, uses utmost wisdom to be able to set this mouthwashing right next to talking about how the people become just like the idols they worship. Yet in Isaiah's case, he was the image bearer. He was the one that was prepared, if you will, for the God of Israel to indwell him. The heathens prepared their idols to be indwelt by their gods. But Isaiah, in the cleansing of his lips and mouth, his sin being purged, was in many respects being cleansed for the God of Israel to indwell him. I say this because I don't personally think that uh, Isaiah was, uh, you know, necessarily mocking the people or that God was mocking the people in what he was doing. But I think he was showing that there is a practice among Israel of a cleansing for an indwelling as well. The ancient ritual for the idol worshipers followed this fashion. And you might pick up on some things as I uh, talk about this. But if you don't pick up on it, I'll make it clear. All right. The ancient ritual preparation for the idols of these heathen nations would be on this fashion. This is what they were familiar with. Number one, an image would be made or created in a workshop near a canal or a garden like area or at sometimes even a temple, and then they would formally set it up. So they were going to create this near a canal, garden-like area, or a temple, and then set it up. And then the essence of the deity would be transferred to the statue. The essence of whatever God that they quote-unquote serve would be transferred to the essence of this, to, to this statue. And then thirdly, this, this, the ritual of the cleansing of the mouth allowed the image to become, this is, this is not me, this is documentation of history, that, that the, the, the cleansing of the mouth of the image would allow it then to become both human and be also be a representative of the divine. Fourthly, sometimes, but not always, and again, this is documented in history, the phrase, whom shall I sin, has been documented as being spoken by the little G-O-D-S gods during the preparation of these images. When you take all of that as far as these heathen nations and then consider what took place with Isaiah in chapter number 6, he is near and around a temple in Isaiah chapter number 6. 
His mouth is cleansed by a live coal that's taken from the altar. He hears the voice of the Lord speak to him and say, whom shall I send? And Isaiah even answers that. Isaiah is being portrayed as the image bearer by all of this. And any idol worship, even the heathen nation, is going to recognize that by what's taking place with Isaiah. Now, Throughout, throughout history, throughout the history of religion and the history of the church for that matter, there is something called religious synchronization. Religious synchronization is whenever a people uh, tries to conquer another people, but they have not fully conquered another nation or another group of people until they have conquered that people's gods. All right. And so in order to conquer their gods, they do this by this fashion. And you see this through history and even still yet today. They, they conquer their gods by keeping maybe the form or some of the attributes of their gods or their religion, but just changing the names. They're going to overcome their God by keeping enough, enough about that God that they feel comfortable with the new God. They don't change everything. They just mix it. They just mix it. There's a diluting, if you will, of what's there. And so whenever we see this, I say that because, again, I don't personally think that Isaiah was mocking what these idol worshipers practice in and among their idolatry and in their heathen nations, but rather I believe that those that practice idolatry, watch me here, feel like, I feel like Bishop there for a moment, Bishop St. Clair, that's a common phrase and I heard it several times this week. <laughs> Amen. I, I believe that those that practice idolatry were endeavoring to keep the form of what happened all the way back at creation they kept the form and they changed who or what it applied to I say that to say this if you think back to Adam Adam was created near a garden or at least a would-be garden called Eden Mm -hmm. For that matter, the Bible says that there was a river that went out of Eden. It formed into four heads or four other rivers. So there is a river. There's a body of water. It's a garden-like area that satisfy point number one for this whole ritual thing, even in the idol worshipers. All right? So Adam is created near a garden, and then the essence of his deity was transferred upon Adam. The Bible says in Genesis 2 and 7 that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So we have the image bearer created. We have the essence of his deity transferred to him, breathed into his nostrils and became a living soul. For that matter, whenever you look at the word nostrils in the Old Testament, uh, for that matter, in the ancient Hebrew pictographs. We're talking about not even the Hebrew letters that are to good day, but they use little pictures, pictographs. Brother Mason knows exactly what I'm talking about. The, the, whenever you see the word nostrils in its pictograph, uh, the first character looks like an ox head, and then the second character looks like almost like an ellipse, like an ellipse. And the ellipse is a picture in reality, according to them, of an open mouth, and it represents any type of hole. But the ox head represents strength. In other words, God breathed into his nostrils, or if you will, God breathed into his open mouth. And as a result, man is set up and established now, and this is important, we were established not just to bear the earthly, 
but we were also established to bear the heavenly image. Not just the earthly image, but the heavenly image. He becomes a living soul. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 47, the apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, look at it now. He says, the first man is of the earth. All right? And there's kind of a dual uh, application here. He's speaking for on one hand about the first Adam. He's speaking on the other hand about the second Adam known as the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is also speaking in terms of the first man of the flesh that we are born into and also the second man of the regeneration of this flesh and the infilling of the spirit of the Lord. And so he says the first man is of the earth earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Look at verse 48. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, okay? And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Verse 49, and as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit it. Can you say that with me? Flesh and and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Verse 51, behold, I shew you a mystery that we shall not all sleep, meaning those of us that are in the grave prior to the rapture of the church. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, this is important because flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. Our natural man is not what is the inheritor of the kingdom of God. Our natural bodies is not what will inherit the kingdom of God or heaven. Heaven was made for what we become when we worship God. Heaven was made for what we become when we worship the Lord alone. Because he says in the day of rapture, and I've alluded to this in past lessons, that the completion of our change will happen on rapture day and will change to be completely like him. And until that day, we're striving day by day to be like him. But flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit heaven. And so since that's what I'm born into, yet I'm hoping to inherit heaven, that means I can't stay the same as I am when I was first born. There must be a change. There must be an alteration that takes place because I can't be born from my mother's womb and in that state be an inheritor of heaven. In that state, be an inheritor of the kingdom of God. There must be an alteration. I bore the earthly, but the design of heaven is that I would also bear the heavenly and be as he is. Yes, it's that which I am changed into that becomes the inheritor of the kingdom of God or heaven. Someone say amen. Changed to be like him. It's somewhat really ironic this morning if you begin to think about it through the pages of Scripture. Ironically, the Jews consider, of course, Abraham as their father. We see it even written in the pages of Scripture. He is the father of the Jews, all right? God made a people. He made a nation from the seed of Abraham, traveling through the, the, the line from Abraham to 
Isaac to Jacob to the 12 tribes of Israel, right? He is he, he made a people and a nation from the seed of Abraham so that that nation and that people, according to the scripture, would be his special and peculiar treasure. That's the way it's stated in the scripture. The Bible says, if you'll look at it, Exodus 19, got plenty of scripture today. Exodus 19 and verse 5, the Lord says, now therefore, if, everybody say if. It's important to look at those conditional words in the scripture when they pop up. He says, now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then, someone say then. See the if? That's the condition. You see the then? That's a result of keeping the condition. Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. Look at verse 6. And this is still the results of the kept condition. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And so what he's conveyed to us here in the book of Exodus is this. They are, the Israel, the Jews, they are his peculiar treasure. They are his uh, holy nation when they had obeyed and kept his covenant. Amen. It was tied to obeying and keeping his covenant. Now, part, part of the covenant that Israel and the Jews predominantly failed at was idolatry. Mm -hmm. Idolatry. Now, here's the thing, though. Abraham, he's father of the Jews, father of the nation, and yet Abraham's father, Terah, was an idol worshiper. He was an idol worshiper. You can find that in Joshua 24 and 2. He was an idol worshiper. He served other gods. But remember, God called Abraham who was the son of an idol worshiper in a land of idol worship. God called Abraham from his father's country, right? And even from his father's kindred, he called him away from all that. And so God called Abraham from an idol worshiping environment and an idol worshiping influence. And yet then we see the children of Abraham down through the descendants down through the ages, the nation of Israel constantly gravitating back to what Abraham originally left. Amen. Let me say this this morning. Whenever we give more attention to other things than we do God, we're vying for what God called us out of and away from even back beginning with Abraham. And it's ironic. It's ironic. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 29 in verse number 2. Deuteronomy 29 in verse number 2. What we see in Isaiah, of course, didn't start in Isaiah. Israel had a problem with idolatry all the way back again, starting as early as creation. But even seen even more prominently as they were in Egypt, left Egypt, the golden calf scenario through their wilderness journeys. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 29 and verse number two, and Moses called unto all Israel and said unto them, ye have, and this is important, ye have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt unto Pharaoh. In other words, you are eyewitnesses of the plagues. You're eyewitnesses of everything that took place and to all his servants and to all his land. Verse three, the great temptations interpreted the great 
testings which thine eyes have seen, the signs and those great miracles. They, they had a sideline seat to all of those things that had happened and taken place. Yet, verse number four says, yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day, verse 5, and I have led you, and I'm just going to read the first phrase, and I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Deuteronomy is the second generation of Israelites, not, not the ones that were originally delivered, but the, the second generation, because all that first generation died in the wilderness because of the hardness of their heart and not desiring to go forth and take the land that God said they could have. This is the second generation, but not just the wilderness generation, according to the word of the Lord, but the first generation that was delivered from Egypt. They had loyalty issues with God. They had loyalty issues with God, and we'll talk about that here in just a little bit later. But Moses tells the second generation that, that God had done some tremendous things right before their eyes, had done some tremendous things along their wilderness journeys, yet they hadn't perceived it, they hadn't seen it, not literally, but figuratively, and they hadn't heard it. Why? Again, this again underscores what we've been talking about, because they have been flirting with foreign alliances in their wilderness journey. They had adopted some of the gods of Egypt, though they were delivered from Egypt. And so they couldn't perceive, they couldn't hear, and they couldn't see even everything that God was doing for them because they weren't serving him and they were becoming like what they were serving. Oh, someone say glory. Let me say this today. We will miss what God's really done for us when we worship idols and prioritize other things ahead of God. This is what happens. We'll begin to assume it doesn't matter how we live and we'll miss the mercy that God has granted us in all of those blessings. We won't be able to see it because we'll be serving something else and we will have become like it. No, 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 no. We'll miss what God has really done for us. Let me state it again. When we prioritize other things above God. We could even be duped into this mindset that God really doesn't care because you know what? This is happening to me and we'll, we'll get this mindset. This is happening to me because of the way I'm living my life right now. Brother McGee, God still kept me. He's, he's kept me employed and he's, he's still put food on my table and I still got this going on. And we start to equate, well, that's, that's, all that's doing is a recommendation or a fingerprint of approval that the way I'm living my life right now is okay. That's where we have an eyes, but we're not seeing ears and we're not hearing. We're not perceiving because we're becoming like what we're worshiping. All of those type of things are never, quote and listen well, are never an endorsement for the way that we're living. That's what we call mercy. That's called getting what you don't deserve. Let's continue in Deuteronomy chapter 29, uh, going on down to verse number 9. He says, he continues, He's talking about them not seeing these things. He's talking to the second generation. He says then, look what he's iterating here. Keep therefore the words of this covenant and do them that ye may prosper in all that ye do. That's good. That's good. The words of the covenant, mind you, covered a wide 
spectrum of things. A lot of material was within the words of the covenant. From talking about not being oppressive to the poor, not practicing adultery or fornication to the degree of not being a thief or a robber and, uh, you know, steering clear of those that are false prophets. It covered a lot, a lot of information. However, you'll notice here in the next little while that the focus that is specifically being pulled forth is that part of the covenant that prohibits adultery, serving other gods. He's speaking of plainly right here in this setting of the verse. Look at verse 10. He says, ye stand this day all of you before the Lord your God look your captains of your tribes your elders and your officers with all the men of Israel look your little ones your wives and thy stranger that is in thy camp from the hewer of wood into the drawler of thy water note now he tells them, I want you to keep the words of the commandment and he's particularly speaking of not practicing idolatry in this setting of scripture and the keeping of the covenant look at it now look at those that are listed in verses 10 and 11 to the greatest of them like captains of tribes and leaders to the greatest of them to the least of them such as hewers of wood and drawers of water. Those were people that were burdened with the most, the most taxing of tasks among the children of Israel. He says, so from the greatest of you down to the least of you, he said, you must be keepers of the covenant. What he says, he says, this covenant doesn't just apply to leadership. This covenant applies to the common man within the tent. This, this, this covenant applies to those that you would consider the least among you. This covenant, note the scripture right here, this covenant even is applied to the stranger if that stranger be found in your camp. The stranger, even the stranger be found in your camp. Now there's something you must understand. Uh, the Israelites were traveling people. They were nomadic people. And a nomad's camp consisted of many family tents. Many family tents, which made up a clan camp. And so these camps could have uh, to numbers of about 50 or so family tents or more in them and these tents then would be placed I'm telling you exactly the way it was culturally and these tents would be placed in a circular configuration forming what they would consider the walls of their camp he said if there is a stranger within your camp then he should keep and obey the covenant someone say amen a stranger found within the camp of Israel was expected to abide by the covenant of the camp Amen. And this keeping the covenant business, responsibility of leaders, responsibility of families. You see, the hierarchy almost, as it goes through the list, men, wives, little ones, children, it didn't matter. It, it didn't matter. This, this is not, the, the way that the, the, the scripture and God is conveying this, it's not as though, once you become somebody, then that's when you keep the covenant. When you become, whenever you're extended a title of leadership role, then that's when you keep the covenant. That's not the way it's portrayed. It's portrayed that it's even when they are still yet children. There is a keeping of the covenant. And he does the hierarchy, men, wife, and children. I think importantly, because as men and priests of our home, we're responsible. Amen. Of the sharing of what the covenant entails. And if you're going to be in the camp, even if you're a stranger, you're to abide by what's going on in the camp, the camp policy of the covenant. Amen. Look at verse number 12. That thou shouldest enter into covenant with the Lord thy God, into the, his oath which the Lord thy God maketh 
with thee this day, verse 13, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself, that he may be unto thee a God, as he has said unto thee and as he has sworn unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, verse 14, neither with you only, he says, do I make this covenant and this oath, but with him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God and also with him that is not here with us this day. In other words, he says, I'm conveying right here, this covenant that I'm talking to you about is a generational covenant. It was, past tense, valid for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It is now relevant for you. And it will be important for those that are not here today that are yet to be born that will be here. This is a generational covenant. It changes not. It's altered not. It is relevant. It is current. It is effective. And it is what we must succumb and subject ourselves to so that I will be your God and you will be my people. Look at verse 16. Here comes the little idol parentheses, parenthetical phrase here. For ye know how we have dwelt in the land of Egypt and how we came through the nations which ye passed by. And ye have seen their abominations and their idols, wood and stone, silver and gold, which were among them. Lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. Israel had been exposed to different gods in Egypt. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, almost, and I believe all, every plague that came upon Egypt was really an attack on a god that they served. Every plague. Uh, of lice and, and fire, something that they believed their God had control of. Every plague was up, upping, showcasing the power of their God over these gods that they believed in and that they supported. And so Israel had been exposed to different gods, of course, in their years upon years in Egypt. Not only that, as they passed through the different nations on their way to the land of Israel, there were heathen nations that they were again exposed to gods of wood and stone and heathen idols as they passed toward and through them and some of them had longing eyes for what they saw some of them had longing eyes for where they had been even Egypt amen and God was even concerned we see it written up here in scripture God was concerned that they may serve these other G-O-D-S's little G-O-D-S's that they might serve these other gods his fear though you say well that's not founded no I think it's very founded his fear was valid because Israel had no sooner left even Egypt that they made themselves a go and calf and they're talking about why did you bring us out here into the wilderness to die we'd much rather be in Egypt did they not have food back in Egypt you brought us out here and you're not going to feed us we're not going to have no water and they're looking with a longing eye for where they were let me tell you why you have a longing eye for something like that because you've already shifted in your spirit what you're serving oh yeah amen amen she says yeah he has a concern that they're going to trot through some of these lands and they are going to be drawn in by some of these false gods. Look how it steps up in progression in verse number 18 of Deuteronomy 29. 
He says in verse 18, lest there should be among you man, woman, family, or tribe. Man, woman, family, or tribe. It, it, it's a step up in progression. We have men and women. Men and women, of course, make up families. Families make up tribes. If adultery gets a foothold on a man and is not monitored and restored back to its proper fashion, it may not be long till it gets hold of a woman. And before you know it, it has succumbed and overcome a family. And then if families, if there's not a stop sign in that, then families, there's this influence and rubbing of shoulders with other families until you have a tribe. And if that continues, you'll have a nation. What the Lord's saying, he's saying we got to not allow a foothold to take place even over one isolated member. Huh? Right? Because we, we know that when something starts there, it's going to have some type of impact on the whole, right? Achan takes a Babylonian garment, a wedge of gold, hides it in his tent. One man that took him the curse thing, but all Israel's defeated when they go to war the next day. Why? Because there comes, somebody was desiring something more than they were God. And it started having a ripple effect throughout the nation. Is everybody doing all right? Amen. It'll impact one another if we're not careful to monopolize our families, our tribes, or as our world today, even society. Amen. In Exodus 32. I have the ability to do this. <laughs> Yesterday we couldn't. There was no shedding of anything to help out. In Exodus 32. First generation. Had become like their idol. Moses' description of what was taking place at the base of the Mount of God is a testimony and evidence that the people had become what they were serving. Amen. Moses' description, he described the waywardness of the children of Israel at the base of the Mount of God. And what his description is, it parallels that. Listen closely. It parallels that of wild calves or untrained cows. Look at it, if you will. Because you, you can turn to Genesis 32. I don't have these scriptures up there, but they're just for your reference. But in Genesis 32, whenever, whenever uh, uh, Moses begins to describe what's taking place, he describes Israel there at the base in verse number 9 of Exodus 32. He describes them as a stiff-necked people. You see the wording stiff-necked oftentimes in scriptures. The majority of the time when that wording is used, it's used toward Israel whenever they are practicing idolatry. Stiff-necked, or if you will, disobedient. The animal that does not want to turn his neck in the direction that the one who is his owner desires it to go. Stiff-necked, not going to budge. Stiff-necked people. Verse number 25, Moses describes in verse 25 and all of this is of exodus 32 says that whenever he saw the people that they were that they were naked and aaron had made them naked and their shame uh, made them naked from their shame from their enemies you read other translations of that naked is is really one translation but if you read other translations it's that they they made themselves or he saw that the people were running wild 
where he saw that the people were out of control. He saw that the people had broken loose. He saw that the people were unrestrained. Again, it is, it is mirroring and, and parallel to that of an unrestrained, wild, out of control calf. Rocks. Verse number eight, if you go back to verse number eight of the same chapter again, you read where the Bible speaks that Moses says that they, meaning the people at the base of the mount, had turned aside quickly out of the way which they had been commanded, right? It's like having an animal say, we're going down this path. And it says, no, I'm going this way. And it's like, no, they're going to, no, I'm going this way. It's like, no, we're going this way. And it's backing up. The people had become. That's a golden calf. The people had become and adopted some of the attributes of a calf. Verse number 26. Finally, you see that Moses is standing at a gate and he's attempting to do what? He's attempting to regather those that have went this way, that way, out of control, unrestrained. He's attempting to gather them back together. Amen. As a man would almost gather a herd of some sort. And so they have become, again, like what they endeavored to worship and respect. And you'll notice in verse number 7 of Exodus 32, he speaks this, and this is because of their tendencies, because of their practices. He says they have corrupted themselves. They have corrupted themselves. Their practices and their tendencies have corrupted themselves. Nobody did that to them. They did that to themselves. Amen. They did that to themselves. Now, now, and, and I'm mindful of time because I'm tired anyway. Psalms 106, and I was up till past one o'clock last night. Psalms 106 and verse 19. The psalmist says, and this is in reference to what happened in Exodus 32 at the base of Horeb with the golden calf. They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped the molten image. Verse 20. Thus, they changed, please note this word, their glory. They changed their glory into the similitude or the likeness of an ox that eateth grass. This is important. They changed their glory. Let me put it like this. They didn't change God's glory. They changed their glory. Because when I serve God, I reflect what he is. But when I serve other things... I reflect what they are. God's glory, same. God's glory, undefiled. God's glory, still honorable and pure. But when I change what I respect and worship, you know whose glory is being impacted? My glory. They changed their glory into the similitude of an ox. Folks, we have not hurt God by our actions. Somebody hearing me right now today? You, you've not hurt God. You've not hurt God by turning your back on God. You've not hurt God by esteeming other things above God. You've not hurt God. No, no, no. You have hurt yourself. You have hurt your glory. You, you, you've, not, you've not hurt God. They changed their glory into the similitude or the likeness of an ox. They didn't change God's glory. They didn't alter it. It's not as though they could shake their fists and say, well, how do you like that, God? No, no, no. They might have that mindset, but what it's really affected is them. What it's really impacted is them. I'll even go a step further today. You've not affected the glory that God has upon his church. Amen. 
Well, we'll just see how they do whenever I do such as that. You've not affected the glory that God has on his church because those that are still serving respect and honorable to God, you know what they're doing? They're reflecting the glory of the unchangeable. They're reflecting the glory of in whom is no shadow of turning, neither is there any variableness. You've not hurt the church. You've hurt your glory. You've hurt, you've hurt your glory. There are people that, that they, they can leave even the district and they can do whatever they want to do concerning that. They've not hurt the glory of the district as long as that district is still honorable toward the God who is unchanging. That stays unchanged. That stays untainted. The only thing they are affecting are themselves and possibly the families that they are a part of. God's glory remains the same, but their glory changed and they became what they beheld. Romans even one, the apostle Paul speaking to the church of Rome said they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. Now watch this. Well, Brother McGee, it says right there, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. It's not that they impacted the glory of God, the glory of God that was reflected upon their face, the face of their people, the face of the people that served them. They changed the glory that they were reflecting. Amen. By serving other things. When they served other things, other gods, other religions, they traded the glory of God for the glory, if you want to call it that, of an image of a lesser being, of a lesser thing. They changed their glory. Amen. Give me three minutes to wrap up. So part and parcel. The reason why we say we're fine sometimes and be far from it is because we're beholding something other than God. And according to what we behold, we're fine. We mirror it. But Isaiah saw the Lord and immediately he utters and recognizes, I'm not fine. As long as as his mirror and his establishment was based upon the rest of the nation of Israel that was given into idol worship, I'm fine. I'm okay, you're okay. Right? Because we're just mirroring what we adore. I'm fine. But the moment you get a glimpse of him, recognition comes as it did for Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips and he even notices everybody else ain't quite good either. And I dwell among an unclean people. Amen. I dwell among clean people. I said, I saw the Lord. He recognized he wasn't fine. I'm unclean. There's a change of heart in the spirit. I want, I don't want this. I want to reflect his glory. I need my glory to change. And the only thing, way it can change, the only way that I can showcase his glory is if I'll keep his covenant. And obey what he has brought forth. The New Testament scriptures even says this. And you can stand with me today. Uh, Matthew 5 and verse 16. We, we, we state this oft times. But it fits good uh, for our lesson here today. Let your light. Everybody say my light. Let your light so shine before men. That they may see your good works. And what? And glorify who? So we call it our light. But it, God gets the glory. Because what we call our light is really just a reflection of his light. Folks, we're like the moon. 
The moon has no inherent light of its own. It don't. It couldn't light up, it couldn't light up a two by two foot room. It illuminates because it reflects the light of the sun. The only light the moon has is the light that it receives from the sun. And it goes through processes of being more dark and more bright at other times because of its position to the sun. Whenever it is in full face of the sun, you'll have the brightest moon. But whenever it's turned aside a little bit, you might have a crescent, you might have a, a, a gibbous, you might have one of these things going on. But it's when it's full facing it. It can be a full reflector of what it is toward. Folks, we are just in many respects, as a matter of fact, only between 3 to 12% of the sunlight that hits the moon, that's what the moon actually reflects. Only 3 to 12% of the full force of the sun. We're just really the moon. And the light of the moon is nothing more but a testimony to the brightness of the sun. Can I tell you this morning that our light, according to Matthew, in reality is just a testimony to the glory of the S-O-N, of the sun. And we should reflect it. And we should mirror it. And we should exemplify it. But that can only happen when we consistently behold it. Mm -hmm. And we... And we consistently place ourselves in a position to get a good frontal blow of it in and upon our lives. At times with the Fred, I think we might walk around and a few of us are a little crescents. <laughs> or it's the times when you see a barely outline of the moon, but it's just kind of totally dark. It's all about where we are in our position to where we get our glory from. Amen. And I want to reflect him. I want to mirror the image of his glory because it's all for, about him. It's all for his pleasure. It's all for his glory. Hallelujah. Can we bow our heads this morning? Father, I love you. God, I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, today. God, I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, for creation. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that we can go even through a mode in our real lives, Lord, of a washing of the mouth God, for the acceptance of a, a purging, Lord, of sin and a cleansing of iniquity so that we may bear not just the human aspect but also be a representation of the divine and that we would receive, if you will, Lord, the Holy Ghost in our lives, Lord Jesus, as being image bearers of he that created us and he that redeemed us. I pray, oh, Lord, today, help me, God, not to turn away from you, turn aside from you. God, ignore you. Lord Jesus put you Lord on a lower shelf God than where you need to be esteemed and honored and glorified. I pray oh God if there is any light shining from our life Lord it is because we have Lord embraced a total Lord face to face Lord mirroring God of you. Let that reflection go Lord Jesus so people will see it not because of our benefit but for the benefit of the Lord God we don't want to change our glory because we have changed our allegiance. We don't 
don't want to change our glory because we have changed, Lord, the thing that we profess unto. God, with open face, we want to behold the glory and be changed from glory to glory by degrees until that ultimate change someday where flesh and blood doesn't inherit heaven. But, Lord Jesus, what we have become by what we have followed, Lord, inherits it. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray and the church say amen. Amen. There is church tonight at 6 o'clock. Amen. Come and be a part of that. Uh, Connect group start back up on Wednesday. Be a part of that. The next couple weekends after this weekend, you're going to be blessed by the ministry of Brother Mason. My family and I are going to be preaching camp meeting out west and such. And so we pray that uh, you just come and be a part of all of those services as well. And just remember us in prayer and travel and in ministry of the word. Amen. But we're going to be around here this week. Amen. And we're going to enjoy being in the house of the Lord with you. Please come tonight. Amen. Shake someone's hand. Tell them how good it is to see them in the house of the Lord today. And God bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter 
with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.